Hey everyone, welcome back to the Athlete CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Averill. I am the co-founder of AWM Capital, where we partner with our clients to unlock the full potential of their wealth. And one of the things that we believe to the core at AWM is that the greatest driver of your net worth is actually your human capital. And so this podcast, the Athlete CEO Podcast, is all about bringing you the knowledge the skills and the access to world-class experts on how to unlock your full human capital. And for those that are just listening in for the first time, when we talk about human capital, this is what makes up you in a holistic manner. And so we're going to talk about your physical capital. We're going to talk about your intellectual capital, your social capital, Yes, your financial capital, but what we want to concentrate on today is your mental capital. Here in the month of May is mental health awareness. And so today I get to dive into a conversation with a dear friend of mine, someone I respect on so many levels, first and foremost, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, absolutely as an entrepreneur and uh, just a, a fellow human on a journey to, to live a complete life. And so, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Jason, uh, for the audience, you know, we'll, we'll take a quick little trek down memory lane of, of the resume that we read off. And so, uh, uh, originally a firefighter here locally, uh, something just moves in your heart from a, a compassion standpoint for some of those people in our world that have experienced poverty. So you leave being a firefighter, you start a nonprofit. You guys have, uh, yeah, I think, built over 900 homes across three different countries. And one of the cool things of your model at One Mission is, is that uh, families are actually earning homes. I think it was over 180,000 hours of community development from uh, the families. Just an incredible thing. Uh, in the midst of that, you've launched some businesses. Um, and it, I think from a resume piece of paper, people are going to sit here and say, oh my goodness, look at all of this. His life must just be going perfectly, right? <laughs> um, and I laugh because here we are sitting is what I really want to dive into, what your big passion is now is mental awareness, mental health projects. Can you give us a little background of, of what's brought you to this point on that journey? Yeah, yeah I'll try to... Um... As you mentioned, I mean, the last, what, 15 years of my professional life, I, I actually didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I, I just set out to be a firefighter and then, you know, ended up starting things and enjoying it and, and doing those. I like starting things and solving problems or attempting to solve problems. So for the last 15 years, very driven, very passionate about work. I think like many entrepreneurs, it's how it's how it's probably the the, the most needed ingredient for success is 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 the grit. Right. Well, I think in that grit, certainly in the last four years, probably about four years ago, things started to break down. And I think, you know, that's probably a, a term we all use when we're like, I don't know, things just start to feel right. And things didn't start to feel right. And then things started to feel a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Um, and I can go into those details. But yeah, generally speaking, a few years ago, I started to get what I would say, you know, some mental health help, um, some answers. And that led me down a, a journey that I had no idea I would ever go down. And I got some answers that, frankly, were a little disturbing in, in terms of like learning some things about myself and having a journey through some some, you know, trauma and different things. 
but with that, it's uh, landed me, I think, in a little healthier place. But my perspective now and my passion now is certainly around mental health and providing better experiences and better resources for people surrounding mental health, which includes everything from advocacy and awareness all the way to actually providing good modalities and good mental health treatments, which that's the biggest project I'm working on now is, is uh, in the space of mental health, mental health centers. So, Yeah, and one of the things I've always appreciated about you, especially in this journey the last couple of years, has been your vulnerability or just transparency around it because it's not shocking to anybody in the audience to hear that people are struggling with mental health uh, symptoms or, or issues, but it's one thing for people to recognize in generality, like, oh yeah, that exists out there. But when it's the vulnerability from a person to, you know, not be feeling shamed, um, to bring it to the forefront. And I think specifically for our audience that are professional athletes that are founders, like what you said is, is there's a, there's part of us that we have to put on this, like, you know, Superman cape every day and, and you try to enter in of like, is this weakness? Do I want to admit it? I saw this crazy stat that uh, it's uh, something over, you know, 30% of college students deal with some symptom of mental health. But uh, in the prof or in the athlete space in, in the collegiate ranks, only 10% would actually reach out for help. And yeah. so I just love to hear you talk a little bit about you know, what you're seeing working with other leaders or professional athletes of why do you think we have such a, a difficulty in, in even asking for help before we get into all the brokenness of what the help uh, isn't, uh, how it, that's not robust enough yet, but i just love to start the conversation there. From my perspective and my, pers my experience, I think some of the answers I started to get in the last couple of years in uncovering some of my, I would even go back to my childhood trauma would be a lot of the things that were driving me, if not everything that was driving my my uh, my grit and my hard work for the last 15 years, a lot of that had to do with fears and anxieties and kind of this, I, I go back to how I felt maybe when I graduated high school and the word was go. It was, it was not, um, let's go learn a little bit more for life. I just, I had a lot of anxiety to just get out and get after it and go. And I only knew one direction and one speed. Mm. And the world um, benefits that. I mean, you will benefit from that speed, go, no matter what. So anytime there was a pain, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I grew, I got, I, I got taught growing up was um, a leader's capacity is only as much as their pain threshold, right? And there's a lot of different ways to say that, but it's essentially saying, You'll only go as far as a leader as you're able to withstand pain. Well, you tell um, certain people that at certain ages, especially if they've been through certain things at certain ages, and it doesn't matter what the specifics are. It's a lot of people have been through a lot of crap. And when you go through crap and you're told, if you can withstand that and bury that and keep going, then you'll keep winning. And that it works up to a certain point until your body and I think your soul starts to break down. And I think that's what starts to happen with um, athletes or even high-driven leaders later on. I don't know if it's a mid, people call it midlife crisis. I think it's just in my experience, my body just started to break down. Like, Jay, dude, I've been going after this, getting after it, burying this crap for a long time. 
and I just can't do it anymore. I can't sleep under this pressure. I can't work under this pressure. I can't grind this hard. And some people have amazing, I mean, I look, like, look at like the rock and like his daily schedule and like, gosh, some days I can barely get out of bed. You know, it's not a matter of how, how much grit you have necessarily. It's how much you, you're allowing your body to rest and your body to be integrated with the reality of what happened and what certainly is happening. And when you take something that if you buried a bunch of things that happened, and then you also have a lot of things that are happening, that's a recipe for water overflowing the dam, they right. call it. Right. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I think with athletes, what's driving their amazing abilities, especially be at a professional level, sometimes can be completely out of health. Awesome. But in my experience, a lot of it was driven out of non-healthy things, things like fears and fears that are deep beyond the consciousness. And those are things that professionals kind of work out and go, hey, one of the reasons you might be running so hard to put seven figures in the bank is because you watch mom and dad go through this and you're like, oh, dang, I actually don't need that. Right. And these things, and then these light bulbs go off and you're like, I don't have to be running this hard. I'm not going to die. It feels like it though. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of what you're, we're sharing, what you're sharing just resonates, right? Like, so, uh, we get the privilege to work with so many of these individuals who literally are the best in the world at what they do. But when you start to peel back the layers, right. And what you understand is they're still human beings. And to your point, the world rewards the external success. So it's like, if you're going to drive harder, you're going to do something elite, we'll keep pouring money on you and giving you some fame. But if we take a step back and go, those things aren't bad, right? But they're just byproducts of being good. And especially money that we believe here, it's just a tool to achieve life priorities, right? And so if we go back to that more robust definition of, of wealth, which is well-being and wellness, as a human, it's like, you can have a huge bank account, but if you're, but if you're unwell, like you can't show up in the relationships that matter the most, you actually can't show up as the best version of yourself and you're just completely miserable. Right. Um, and I think there's also a real fear and, and I'd love for you to speak into this. There is that scare though. Like, what if I actually start to focus on becoming well, will it impact my success? And is there a cost of that? And, and, you know, I feel like that is the things that you've talked a lot about. If, you know, thankfully, we've had some professional athletes in the recent years come and, and talk about their struggles. Michael Phelps, most famously, right, just talking about, here's a guy after the 12 Olympics, you know, I think he'd won four gold medals, and he talked about wanting to kill himself down there. Um, yeah, from Kevin Love in the NBA to Hayden Hurst through the, the NFL and his stories. But I'd just love for you to speak into that and maybe someone who's sitting there going, there, there's something I know that's un, unwell. Where do I even start in the fear of, is this going to cost me what, what's going on? Yeah, I think, the, I think there's a couple of ways to look at the question is, is how is it already impacting what's, mm. what's going on, right? So it's one to go, how will this impact my career? Well, how is it already impacting? You know, those were questions that I hadn't stopped and slowed down enough. Um, it, my therapist gave me the analogy of climbing Mount Everest. Like you can climb that Mount Everest and never stop and probably never get to the top, but you have to stop and take breaks and monitor things and whatever. And it sounds cliche and stupid, but if you don't stop 
to evaluate kind of the present, both both integrating to how are you feeling? Well, I feel like crap. I'm not enjoying my life. Well, then it doesn't matter how much money I ever have. I feel like crap. Those were places I was getting, right? It's like, I feel in some, some cases, like I feel like I'm going to die. I'm having a full-blown anxiety attack. You know, maybe nobody gets to those levels to trigger these, these extreme responses, but my body was starting to fail me, which was triggering, hey, it doesn't matter where you think this is going to do to your career, you have to do, you have to do this now. Like we have to get some help now. If you're, I guess from, from my perspective, my advice would be if you're experiencing some of that, then you just go, how is this already impacting me now? Well, I think that's a hard question because you might not be able to put hands and fingers on like, well, this is how it's impacting my marriage or me being a dad or whatever. But as you start, I think the journey in the direction, they always say, you know, the first step is going to be the hardest in any, you know, recovery or whatever. But with mental health, people, human beings don't want to go places they're unfamiliar with right. ever from the top. And that's in our DNA. Like it, it protects us. So, you know, my four-year-old doesn't want to go in the classroom. If he doesn't know anyone, I don't want to go in a room. If I don't, I certainly don't want to go to a therapist to talk about things that I have even subconsciously put away that I didn't even think were a big deal. I'll give you an example of, of things in the past that, that kind of trigger the, the present. Generally speaking, I will say everybody's present, every behavior you see in the present in a human uh, is a manifestation of their past. Hmm. In the, the, the future is yet to come and the past has already happened. The only thing that, that we're observing in consciousness right now is this exact second in time. The couple of us in the room here, that's the only thing that really is existing. But everything in my past is informing how I feel about the present. Meaning, if I um, at one point was in a room and somebody busted through the door and tried to shoot me, then I might be super weirded out by being in this room because it's triggering something where you could be in the same room and nothing happens, right? right? Two different experiences, but we have two different reactions type of thing. My point is, some of those things, if not a lot of those things, psychologically speaking, would be if you're not aware of what's happening in the present, certainly by even observing things in the past that have happened, you are going to have a very difficult time uh, having agency over your behavior in the present. So we call it observing the past, you know, observing the present to then have hopefully agency over your behavior. Now, not always will you have agency over your behavior. You could have a brain condition that doesn't allow that or that's preventing that. But if you feel like I'm just losing the ability to have agency over my anger or over my, where I used to be able to only have two drinks and now it's like not enough, right? I don't have agencies over myself like I used to. And for me, I didn't have like my wits about me. I was crying, you right? Like I started crying at the airport one time and I didn't know why. I'm like, why am I crying? Like these things that I didn't have agencies over were like triggers of, hey, what is going on here? I had no idea to look in my past. I had no idea. I said I would give you an example. Is this what you wanted yeah. to talk about? Yeah, no, this is great. I think what I love also hearing too is I know for myself, once again, going to that protective shield that you talked about, like our croc brain is fight or flight. Like it's, I've spent, uh, uh, humanity has spent the entire history of trying to protect itself. So doing the one thing of going, I think I'm going to put myself in a position of vulnerability 
is insanely difficult. I think one of the, the knee-jerk reactions also is to compare and go, you know what, like, yeah, I'm dealing with a little OCD or I'm a little stressed out or, you know, I'm down in the dumps, but comparatively, I don't have mental health issues because there's a negative uh, stigma still around it. And then also, I think there's this just this degrees. And I, I looked at this list when I was reading through uh, some of your documentation that that you're putting out there of the, the type of holistic care that needs to happen. But we're talking symptoms, anxiety, depression, grief, trauma, obsessive thoughts, self-harm, impulsive behavior, suicidal thoughts. I think a lot of times it's like, well, if I'm not suicidal, I can manage this over here. I would just love to hear just your thoughts on really talking to someone about not minimizing what they're going through just because it's not as drastic as what they see in somebody else. Totally. I think this is part of caring for yourself. That whole, that whole idea of like, well, I can still love myself even though my trauma isn't as bad as a veteran that fought in a war. Right. And that's a whole thing. You know, you're like, well, who am I to even, you know, want help for my anxiety or something. Right. So I think there's an, there's first an acceptance of I'm not perfect. I don't need to be perfect. And I deserve some peace. It's okay to seek that peace. And I think God wants us to be at peace with ourselves. And if you're not feeling like there's something inside, it's like, I still feel at peace or that this isn't who I want to be type of thing. Um, then I think it's giving yourself permission to walk in that direction. And that's a vulnerability, that's a vulnerability thing, but a trust thing of, you know, I can trust walking in this direction. My advice to, you know, if I'm feeling something, it's not that those things are going to grow and, oh, you better nip it in the bud now because that anxiety could grow or anything. It's to me, it's just as simple as, um, it's like, it's like a father to a child, you know, my, my 13 year old daughter, she's spun up about everything, right? She's a teenager. Just me simply putting my hands on her shoulder, looking her in the eyes and saying, what's going on? And she heard, well, Jenny did this and, Je and this is going on. And then me holding her tighter and saying, no, no, no. What are you feeling right now? Like, what is your body feeling? I feel light. I feel dizzy. Okay, just take a breath. Like your body doesn't need to feel like it's going to die. Like Jenny just isn't going to be your friend right now. But to her, her body is reacting as if she's going to die. Right. This is the fight or flight. The, and all that's happening physiologically is dopamine, cortisol, chemicals are being released by the, your organs. Well, different people have different thresholds for these releases. The doctors, I think the science that's coming out now is younger people, our younger generations have lower thresholds for these releases. This is why kids are, are struggling with a lot of anxiety and depression and things. There's a lot of reasons. I'm not a doctor to describe all that. But what I'm saying is, Sometimes it's just like looking at yourself as if you would look at a child. Hmm. What's going on? Oh, I, I got work. I got, I got to pay bills. My wife is this. And this. Okay. Well, you're acting like you're going to die here. Like, take a deep breath. No one's going to kill you. There's just a couple of us in here. Like, the present reality is really safe. But in our consciousness, it's a disaster. And I think for me, there were so many different things happening between present and past pressures, like I said, that were building up, that eventually I just didn't know left from right. That is another way of saying there's a lot of anxiety. I'm just like, but really it took grounding myself, doing a lot of this groundwork, getting out of my consciousness and grounding into the present, which then you realize 
all that really is is a lot of thinking that creates a lot of not peace in my body. Right. So all of that to answer the question of, I think all of us are seeking peace, not the peace that we find in a, a God or a creator or something, but the peace of like the now. How do I get my body to not feel like I'm, like I'm panicked? Right. Yeah. I. Everybody deserves to 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 live peaceful uh, peacefully within themselves. Right. Like I, I just even that simplicity of you talking about it, like giving your permission where you don't always have to be like charged up, right? Or so negative and guilty. And, and I think just that that permission is so important, even in a culture where it, you can see it on the Instagram and these things is most people still don't give themselves permission. One of the things that I would love to hear you talk about, unfortunately, is especially coming out of COVID, right? Like it, the amount of stress that people have gone through, isolation, these type of things is there's such a demand and a need for for help and for care, yet our resources are limited. They're completely fragmented. Um, I had read in, in some of uh, the research stuff you put together, the amount of, uh, you know, medication we're on that's actually being uh, prescribed from non really uh, uh, specialist. Um, and even when people are on these medications, they haven't seen a mental health professional in over a year. I mean, we're seeing really we're we're throwing, you know, I, I don't know, a, a bandaid on a flesh wound yeah. type situation. What should be the path forward? You know, mm -hmm. I know this is a passion of what you're trying to bring. Just explaining to someone, how do you in a holistic um, way, integrated way, care for yourself from a mental health standpoint? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think I'll talk to it from two perspectives. One, kind of mental health uh, in general, where, where mental health has been, where, we're, where, where it's at, and where we hope it's going. Mental health in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all the way up into the 90s, people who had mental health incidences or episodes were put in an insane asylum. And 65%, give or take, of those people in the insane asylum actually were legitimately harm to self, harm to others. You know, they can't be out in public. But there was a large percentage of people that were like you and me that were in acute distress, you know, maybe going through some overwhelming experience. Our water's overflowing the dam. We're not, we don't have agency over our behavior, but we're not psychotic. We're, we're not, we maybe need to be medicated for a short season. Well, what happened for 50 years is those people got stuck in the system mm -hmm. and then that wasn't working, right? The people that needed help, you can see the broken system. So the states and the government got away with those and put all those people basically back out on the streets. Homelessness went up. Now we've got all of those things. Well, then mental health kind of swings to this, well, you're psycho if you're in mental health, right? If you're, because that's the, st that's where the stigma was created, right? Mm. It created this like bifurcation of medical versus mental. Now mental health is coming into it. The stigma has been dropped for, I think, anyone below boomers. And there is no stigma, but the, there's a huge fragmentation, like you're saying, in terms of the services or where people know where to start. So I use, uh, you know, the example of maybe 30, 40 years ago when you had cancer, you went to your primary physician and you're like, yeah, hey, I have cancer. And the primary physician maybe knows a little bit about a lot, but he's not like a specialist in cancer. And there wasn't really a place you could go to get a comprehensive evaluation, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the idea of what we're trying to do with our mental health clinic, mental health center is going to be 
um, a lot more. Where is one place you can go the first place and the last place you ever have to go for mental health? I can go there and get an assessment by a doctor. I can be plugged into a treatment plan. I can take that treatment plan somewhere else if I need one. I'm getting some initial answers in terms of doing a bunch of different screeners and you know world-class things to assess the patient. So to answer your question, I think from a where mental health is now, I think what people need the most, and myself was included, is I got lucky with getting a good assessment early on in my what I would call acute distress. I got in front of a good trauma counselor, I had some good friends that knew some good people, and I had financial resources to be able to get the help. That's not the case for everyone. You mentioned, for example, half of people in the United States right now on medications for mental health haven't seen a mental health provider. They're getting it from their primary physician or someone else. So the mental health kind of sector isn't even the one leading the way with the medication. I think there has to be some redefinition as, as to who should be the ones prescribing those things. That's happening, but it's going to happen by institutions or the private sector building the building this up saying these are the doctors that are going to do mental health etc the the where mental health needs to go to solve some of these problems i think is clearer resources clearer starting points for people more comprehensive resources and not i have to go to 50 different places or trust 50 different types of people to to navigate my own mental health journey you know i can go to either one place or it's clearly defined where I need to go from here. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, no, it's super helpful. I think one of the things I love reading in your comprehensive approach and integrated plan, right, is instead of it being just breathing techniques or just what we would, you know, sometimes incorrectly deem as like, well, this is holistic or Eastern versus the medical. It's like, no, it's both. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're reading about cold baths in your deal. We're, yeah, we're reading yeah. about meditation rooms, but in addition to the counseling and the medical professionals, I just think that taking that integrated approach is, is so important. Um, one of the last things like I, I want to make sure we hit on is a lot of times too, what we see in the professional athlete space is, you know, the NBA stepped up. This could be because of Kevin Love, uh, you know, bringing stuff to the forefront and just these conversations. They now are required to have a full time, at least one mental health professional within the organization. Yet a lot of times, whether it's colleges, professional athletes, or even probably some of these Fortune 500 companies that, that have these resources is, you know, most people, A, don't, don't take... Um, a proactive approach to it. And then a lot of times it is just the medication. So if you're talking to someone who's listening here, you know, what is that first step? Like, mm -hmm. and you may not have an answer to a specific person to reach out to, but if, if you were, you know, someone was sitting here and it was just the two of you talking and they open up and like, I am struggling, like what's the first step that they should take? Mm -hmm. That's a very important question. And I have, I have, I have shared this with, if, like you're saying, if you were a friend sitting across from me, I would say to start with a professional who has, uh, who has gained your trust somehow, either through referral mm -hmm. or you've done a couple meetings with them. I think you don't, it's not maybe the first person you meet with, but meet with a couple professional mental health people that could be a licensed professional counselor all the way to doctor of psychology. If you, if you have access to them, there's lots of different ways to find them locally, et cetera. Um, I, my advice would be that 
I don't think anyone should be on a psych psychotropic medicine or, a, a, you know, that includes, um, you know, basically any medication prescribed to you for mental health, all the way from ADHD to anxiety, et cetera, without it being in conjunction with a therapist of some sort. Um, a lot of people are on medications and myself included, and they're, they're very beneficial um, and helpful uh, only to the extent that it's helping, you know, maybe you get through something or whatever and, and settle things. But if, if you're not careful, you're not really solving the root of what is maybe driving the, the non-peace in your soul or your body, M meaning um, not to call it a Band-Aid, but the, the doctors would say they should be temporary, which tells me you shouldn't want to be on a medication your entire life. I think you may be, but all that to say uh, it should be in conjunction with some therapy um, because the people prescribing the medications, like I said, 50% of them aren't trained mental health professionals. So in conjunction with medication, be a mental health professional. I think um, instant things people can do are grounding techniques. I think for me early on, and I'm by no means an expert on mental health, but I still come back to, I meditate every day and I have to ground myself every day. Um, or I get spun up in my head and I, and I end up feeling too anxious. So almost before every meeting, I do a breathing exercise. Um, I do a lot of, I mean, I drive a 30 minute commute. I usually breathe half of the time. And those are disciplines I had to create and allow my brain to slow down enough that it wasn't very painful. The first couple minutes of meditating would be some of those painful <laughs> moments of your life yeah. because I still do guided meditation because my brain for 37 years only liked going at one speed, thinking about one thing. Next, next, go, win, crush, advance, whatever those words are. And that's a really great way to, to, to get places, but it's a horrible way to treat your body. So simple breathing techniques are just a way you can honor your body, which sounds so stupid, but it will bring you some peace. I mean, breathing slowly is a great place to start. And then, and then almost convincing, it's like your body then tells your brain, what are you so worked up about? See, I have nothing, nothing to worry about. No one's killing us. It's like your body can inform your brain. And I think there's, we could do a whole podcast on it, but yeah. that's the integration. That's why cold plunges, you know, physiologically what's happening is it, it's, it's like shattering your consciousness to go, hello, wake up yep. to this. Yikes. I got all this crap going on. Yeah. yeah. It's good for your brain to like reset itself. That's what's happening. Right. You know, and if you're not careful, you'll get stuck in that consciousness of just like rinse and repeat, go, 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 go. Your body can inform and calm you down. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, and I think that's so powerful, right? Going back to it's all integrated. We've we've had previous guests on here to talk about the peak performance side of it, but it's breathing routines, right? We just had a guy, Phil Wallen, who runs diesel fitness and recovery, talking about infrared saunas, red light therapy, cold plunging. And it's because it's all interconnected in this human capital conversation of going like, once again, it's, it's well-being. And one of the first places to start is it's okay to actually be a human that's finite. I think that that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves is people in pursuit of the best in the world at what we do, right? Is it's still in your, it, it doesn't feel this way, but it's still in your best interest to sleep eight hours a day. 
to breathe, right? To, to have reflection, to allow yourself the, you know, the peace and the humanity to say, I can relax. Totally. It's okay. And the funny thing, right? It's this whole slow down to go fast. I actually think, uh, two, two, you know, things that everybody's going to say, of course, but we don't prioritize it this way is like, you know what, if I'm the healthiest person in a, in a holistic manner, mentally, physically, right. Socially, relationally, I'm going to be far more, uh, successful at the things that matter, yeah. you know? And I think that that's, if we had to really challenge ourselves of going, what is the definition of success? What is the good life? It's not just the bank account, right? It's actually, do I have the energy and ability to show up for the people in my life that matter the most and to do the projects that matter the most? And that will provide the the, the well-being. And so I just, I appreciate you. Thank you for your story. I mean, uh, we could spend a lot more time, right? Just a, a small podcast doesn't provide uh, the amount of resources and conversations we need to have. So we'll make sure in the show notes at the athleteco.com that we're linking to what Jason's doing. He's a part of some other incredible organizations that, uh, that we'll do a future podcast around uh, specifically about some of the mental health stuff going on in the professional athlete ranks um, born out of a, out of a tragic story into some of the good work that we're seeing done that, that Jason's, uh, really a driver behind. And so, uh, thank you so much for your time. Any kind of last words that you would want to leave with anybody? Well, as you, yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that. Cause I was going to say nothing, but as you were just sharing the last, like I, in my in my experience with the last few years, when I when I sat my wife down, for example, some of you are listening. You're like, you know, what what was the next step look like, and where are some of these these areas I might go with mental health that I don't. When I when I started to sit down with my wife and say, hey, here's how I'm feeling, and here here's what's happening. I'm crying privately, and all these things. My wife broke down like in a way that was like. I have never seen this side. The vulnerability that then she was able to see in me brought us closer. I will say it could do amazing things for relationships when whether you're married or not, but friends, family, when you when you share these things, that is a great starting point to just say, "Hey, I'm not okay. I don't feel okay." And it's obviously it no everyone now knows it's okay to not be okay i don't think right. i don't think that's the problem the hurdle but when you share that with other vulnerability breeds vulnerability when i started to share you know this with my wife she's like you're not you're not a robot you're not a machine you do sense these things i've been sensing these for years but i didn't know what to do i didn't know how mm -hmm. to stop you know wives don't naturally know how to like pump brakes on you know, driven men, like that's right. not that, the, but when men can pump the brakes on themselves and sit, stand across from somebody and say, Hey, this is I think I need to pump the brakes. And I don't know what this is going to do to my checkbook, but so I will say this, like in the beginning, it was the worst thing I could have done for my business was to get mental health, but it was right. the best thing I could have done for myself and my marriage by far. Yeah. And now I'm starting to see either, either by God's design or just by being a little bit, I think more healthy that opportunities, there's more opportunities now for me to do things financially than there was even before. And right. that's where I start to have gratitude to go. I sure am glad I did walk through this journey. Not that I ever want to do it again, 
it's the hard it's the hardest <laughs> thing i've ever right. done and it's very it is expensive in a lot of different ways yeah. it, you know good help costs money and it yeah. takes time and it took a lot of sacrifice i had to step down from roles at work and have conversations with people not because i was this like i want that to be clear not because i woke up one day and was like i'm going to do it i'm taking a left i'm going right. my body forced me my body shut down a lot of people don't have to wait till that. But right. part of, I think, practically when it's like, oh, how do you put your marriage first? Some of it is putting yourself first, especially for driven men. It's like, take some time to go. I went camping by myself for 24 hours for the first time in my life. 24 hours of solitude felt like a week. One of the hardest things I've ever done. You'd be amazed at what you learn about yourself in that 24 hours, how slow time can go, how simple the world is and really what the priorities are. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And thank you for, for ending on that note. I think it's one of the things uh, of that final encouragement that I heard come out of that is give yourself permission to, to actually become the person that you were created to be not based off the expectations of what other people want from you or want you to be and to, to do that hard work. And as Jason said is, you know what, if, if you're at that place where you need uh, kind of immediate help is, is reach out to that professional. But for so many other of those listening in is don't wait until it gets to the very end of the road, right? The good news is, is there are resources now and you can start to implement these things into your, into your life immediately. And so once again, you can access everything over at athleteceo.com. And until next time, own your wealth, make an impact and always be a pro.